pray together. Father in heaven, we want to thank you, Lord, what we have just sung, that, Father, you are the cornerstone of it all. And we know, Lord, that in this day and age when there are so many ideas, that better <laughs> okay let me tell you a story okay I I was in uh, the US Army for a while and uh, I went to an army school where they were teaching us uh, training us for certain particular jobs and so it, what made this unique was that in this particular uh, school we had members of all the different branches of the military so it was the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, and the Marines, and the Marines. And so what happened was one day there was an inspection. And so the inspection was being carried out by the ranking Marine gunnery sergeant. This guy was the ugliest and biggest and most foul-mouthed person in the whole wide world. And so he walks in there, and he's giving this inspection, and the Marines in our group failed miserably by his standard. And so in front of all of us, he goes up to these guys, the Marines. He's looking at the Marines, but he wants us all to listen. And he fearless, fearlessly and forcefully, and I might say colorfully, addresses the shortcomings of his fellow Marines. And he says to them, he gives us, it's almost like this, this Russell Crowe, you know, uh, of military address, and he says, you are Marines, and Marines don't act this way, and Marines do this, and Marines do that, and he just dressed them up one side over the other. The whole point of what he was trying to say is, because they were U.S. Marines, they were held to a higher standard. There were expectations, there were roles and responsibilities that they must carry out. If you're a Marine, you act like a Marine. Full stop. That day, I think all of us learned a lot. All of us learned a lot. And this lesson has stayed with me all these years. Because what really the bottom line is, who you are determines what you do. There has to be the correlation between the two. And it's like this in the spiritual life as well. We cannot just call ourselves Christians and behave any way that we like. But God has in his word very specifically and very clearly lined out for us what our roles and, and uh, uh, responsibilities are. And so you might say, what he's saying is, you're a Christian, live like one. But what does that all involve, you see? What does that all involve? And what's our motivation for doing this? You know, we look around and we say to ourselves, many people claim to be Christians, but they don't live like one, and they don't, it doesn't seem to bother them one little bit. So are we one of those? Or should we be more conscious of who we are and what we do? And so this serves as kind of an introduction to the book of 1 Corinthians, where we start a whole new series of messages. And what Paul was doing when he wrote to the Corinthians is he was trying to correct corrupt thinking and corrupt living. 
I want you to join us in the next few weeks as we discover God's truths for daily living. These are important words that Paul has to write, and he, does, and he writes them very carefully and under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And we'll start, first of all, by trying to understand a little bit more about the culture of the Corinthian church and also the church itself. The church at Corinth, we can understand them by looking at the culture that they were in. The, current, the church at Corinth, it was a very prosperous city. It was a prominent city, okay? And so it had gained quite a reputation. But culturally, it was pagan as all get out. They worshipped all kinds of idols, and they worshipped all kinds of deities. It was what you might call, you know, everything was wide open. Everything was wide open. And this is the kind of culture that what they had. This is the worldview they had. It was very pagan. They were materialistic, and they were immoral to the core. How immoral were they? Well, one author put it this way. Debauchery was the order of the day. Debauchery was the order of the day. It's debauchery with a capital D. What do you mean by that, Pastor? One of the, one of the most famous sites of the city of Corinth was the temple of Aphrodite. Who was Aphrodite? She was only the Greek goddess of love. And they had so then immersed themselves in the worship of Aphrodite, they had 1,000 priestesses that would service the worshipers that came. They were actually prostitutes. That was how debauched they were. They were, in fact, it was so bad. The Corinthians had such a bad reputation that to be called a Corinthian was a derogatory term. It was a derogatory term. <laughs> you know, they would say things like, you Corinthian. You know, you wouldn't want to be called a Corinthian because that person is really insulting you. They're really insulting you. And that's how bad it was. They were rebellious, so much so that Rome invaded it and destroyed it, killed the inhabitants, or sold them into slavery. That gave you an idea about their personality, about their temperament. So bad that Rome had to come in and destroy it and start all over again. That was their culture. But guess what? As bad as they were, God didn't forget them. God didn't forget them. How do we know that? Because he sent the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey to go to Corinth. And there he preached the gospel. Many became converted. And then he established the church there. He worked there for one and a half years to get the church started and to get it going. But then soon the church fell into problems. They fell into all kinds of problems. And so Paul had to write this letter in the Corinthians to try and correct those problems. Well, that brings us to the church. No church operates totally on its own, but it is also has to operate in the environment of the culture. So you know what the culture was like. And now we come to the church. The believers had a hard time separating themselves from the lustful ways of their culture. The old habits were hard to die. You know, they're hard to get rid of. And so people didn't just, I came a Christian today. I'm going to separate myself from the way that the Corinthians lived. Uh -uh, they didn't do that. Some of them tried to walk the line. Some of them fell sometimes. And some of them jumped on both sides of the fence. And so there were all these kinds of problems. But the Corinthians Christians soon came to be known for their insufferable selfishness, carnality, and immaturity. Oh, wow. 
That's a mouthful, isn't it? But that's what they suffered from. In fact, they took pride in being proud, being philosophical, and morally polluted. They were living according to human wisdom and the lifestyle of the world. And you would say to yourself, don't those people have a conscience? Aren't they listening to the Holy Spirit at all? Well, apparently not. And that's why Paul had to write this letter to them. One description of the church at Corinth, it's easy to remember, it's three Ds. Three Ds. It was a three D church. What was the three Ds of Corinth? They were defiled, they were divided, and they were disgraced. Those three things characterize the church at Corinth. Now, it wouldn't take a mental giant to figure out when they become familiar with the church at Corinth that a lot of, there's a lot of similarities between the church at Corinth and today's church. There are great similarities that can be seen, all right? And so the, the church, uh, apparently the world was influencing the Corinthian church more than the church was influencing the world. That's what happened. And so more and more people were adopting the thinking and the behavior of the world. And instead of leaving at, at the doorstep of the church, they were bringing it into the church. That's why Paul had to write the, the letter. He was trying to correct this kind of behavior. The church must heed and obey God by living according to God's word and the power of God's spirit. This is what our prayer for GBC should be that we will be living, breathing witness and testimony of what God wants us to be and the world needs to see, all right? Sometimes we just kind of think, well, you know, I come into CHS and for the next, oh, I don't know, 45 minutes or, you know, hour and a half, you know, I'm in a different world. But once I go out them doors, man, anything goes. That isn't the way the mind of the Christian ought to be. The one that's in here should be the one who's out there. And we should be influencing those who are out there. And that's what with a hope and a prayer should be. The letter, in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul brings God into where we live, where we work, and where we play. He is bold enough to say that. That you, 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 and me, all of us here who claim to be the children of God, to be the people of God that we should be going into the world instead of the world coming into the church. Well, that gets us started. So let's get started in chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. As Paul reminds the Corinthian Christians about two things. There's only two points to this message, not three, four, five, but only two. First of all, he's going to remind them of their calling. Then he's going to remind them of the many blessings that God has bestowed upon them by his grace. Their calling, verses 1 to 3. He starts with his own calling. All right, in verse 1, Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sothenes, our brother. What is he talking about here? Called as an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle was a special word. It means a sent one. It means an emissary, if you will. He, and notice here that he was sent by Christ. He was appointed by Christ. He was called by Christ, okay, to do, to do this, okay? And then, uh, <clears throat> he, and then when you go on a little bit further, you find that he, he will develop this in 2 Corinthians. 
Because why? Because the people didn't like what they heard in the this one working? Okay. I'm running out of room up here. <laughs> okay. You can take this too. Okay. Okay. And, and so uh, Paul establishes his own calling. Then he goes to the Corinthians calling in verses two to three. Notice what he says. <clears throat> Verse two, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, Saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and ours. Okay, now notice here that he starts off by saying to the church of God. Now, when you look at these first opening lines, Paul is already beginning to lay down some introduction to the topics he's going to address. And one of the big problems they had in this church was factionalism. There were people who said, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Paul. And then the, the, big, the, the one that really wins the prize is a group that says, I'm only for Christ. You know? And so there was all these factions going on in the church. So he turns around and he says, to the church of God. Any church does not belong to one person or to one personality. It doesn't. It doesn't. It is the church of God. All right? And so let's keep that straight right from the very beginning. And then he says, sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified means set apart from sin and the secular for the sacred purposes of God. All right? He says, listen, you, you all. He says, listen. He says, listen, you have been set aside for God. You are special to God. And he says, we'll call you saints by calling Saints means holy ones, means you are holy ones by God's choice. You are set apart by God for God. You got that? Set apart by God for God. And so he had to remind them of this. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? But many Christians today forget about that, that we have been called by God for God, for his purposes. And he identifies them with a greater body, with all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and, and ours. All who believe in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sin. If you look at Romans chapter 10, the, book, the next book uh, over, Romans chapter 10, starting with verse 9 and 10 and then jumping down to 13, it says, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Jump down to verse 13. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so he says, Paul says, hey, y'all. He says, hey. He says, listen up. You have been sanctified. You've been set apart by God. You are saints. You are holy ones. And you're part of this great body of people who have confessed their faith and trust in Christ that he died on the cross and rose again from the grave for their sins, and therefore they are saved. He had to remind them of that. And then in verse 3, look at what he says in verse 3. 
He turns around, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I take this as being a very personal and a very warming effect that Paul had. He could have really laid them out. I don't know what your personality is like, but once upon a time, I was very rough on people. And so what happened is that God got hold of me and changed me. And so what happens there, he says, grace and peace to you. Paul was not out there to pick a fight. He loved these people, and he wanted to see them walk the way of the Lord. And so he says, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. And so he ends that section with that part. Well, as we go a little further then, we find that we come to their blessing. He had to remind them about their blessings in verses 4 to 9. Now, what is the basis for all the blessings we get from God? Do you think God blesses you, God blesses you, God blesses you, God blesses you, God blesses me because of our good looks? Well, some of us would say, no, that can't be it, right? Other people will say, well, it's because I'm so smart. Well, not all of us are so smart, but we're still blessed. Ha <laughs> ha, see? So we say, wow, can't be that. It, it, does he do it because of this, that, and the other? But we constantly see such a wide breadth of people being blessed by God. There must be a different standard that he uses. There's a different measuring stick. There's a different motivation in the heart of God to bless people. What is it? Look at verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. <laughs> what is the motivation of God to bless us? It's his grace towards us. What is grace? Well, over the years, I've come across many, many different de definitions for grace. You know, grace is the unmerited favor of God. Oh, wonderful, good. Then I came across this other one, which I think is so much more beautiful. And the grace of God is undeserved, unrepayable kindness and mercy to us sinners. Dr. John MacArthur came out with that one. And that just seemed to resonate. That just seemed to strike the heart and the soul. This grace, this favor that God shows us is undeserved, unrepayable, kindness and mercy to us sinners. Never, 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 never take the grace of God for granted because it is so deep, it is so wide. And so all the motivations for the blessings that you and I enjoy is because of the grace of God. It is his choice to exercise it and to give it to us, he says in verse 4. Well, when he says given to you in verse 4, when he says given you in Christ Jesus, the word given is written in such a way that it lends itself to possibly being divided in terms of certain definite points of time. Definite points of time. So Paul, when he says, given to you the grace of God that's been given to you at a different time, he has in mind maybe certain specific points or moments in your life and mine. So, so we can therefore maybe divide up the blessings of God according to past, present, and future. We can do that. We can do that. And so it makes it easy to remember. It makes it easy to understand. First of all, past blessings because of God's grace. Verse 6, 
even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. And so what he means there is the gospel was heard, believed, and embraced by those in Corinth. They accepted Christ as their personal Savior. Whenever you and I or anyone accepts Christ as a Savior, that is a blessing from God that he made possible by his grace. By God's grace, God drew us to him. All right? It's a gift. It's a blessing. You see? Paul says, look back, y'all. Look back and look at the moment that you accepted Christ. When you heard the gospel and the light bulb went on and suddenly you couldn't help yourself and you wanted to have Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's a blessing. That's one of the many blessings. How about present blessings well, that come to us because of God's grace? Look at verse 5 and verse 7. Verse 5, it says that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech, in all knowledge, he says. The word enriched there is where we get the English word plutocrat, which means an extremely wealthy person. And I get a lot of questions about Donald Trump. I don't know why. All right? I'm not the only U.S. citizen here on the island, okay? But somehow everybody thinks I'm responsible for Mr. Trump. I have nothing to do with Mr. Trump other than hearing your questions about Mr. Trump, okay? And as you know, he's a multi-billionaire. You know that, at least on paper, okay? And so plutocrat means a person very wealthy. And he's, Paul uses this term on purpose. He says, you are a very wealthy person spiritually because of God's grace. You have, the believer has everything he needs and more. Well. Someone would sit out there and say, like what? Like what, Paul? And Paul answers that question. He says, you've been given all speech. And this, the context in which this happens could be meaning all, he, all that a believer needs to speak for God. You have been given speech. You've been given the talent. You have been given the ability to speak for God. And then all knowledge in verse 5. All the needs to that all that one needs to speak effectively for and about God. Boy, these Corinthians were really loaded. They were extremely blessed. They were extremely rich. Now, when you hear that, you might say to yourself, okay, okay. I'm, I'm tracking with you, Pastor, but tell me more. And then in verse 7, the first part. Of verse 7, he says, so that you are not lacking in any gift. So that, he concludes, he says, so that as I look at you all, you have everything you need. You are gifted. So what are we gifted for? With all speech, all knowledge, and every gift. We have all that we need to evangelize the lost, and we have everything that we need to edify the saints. Now remember, he's going to get into the spiritual gift thing later on. And so this is, he's leading into, he's hinting around that he's coming around to this, all right? And so everything that we have, when it comes to being a witness and testimony for God, there's a fine line between saying we can't and we won't. We can't and we won't. What's the difference? The first is a lack of resources, while the other is the matter of lack of heart and will. You see? 
And so sometimes it does us well to sit back for a minute. And if we say to ourselves, why aren't we sharing the gospel? Why, 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 why aren't I more concerned about my mother or my father not accepting Christ or my grandfather or my grandmother or my aunt or my uncle and all, or my neighbor or my uh, classmate or my coworker? Is it a matter because you can't? Because you don't have the resources, you don't have the training, you don't have the what with all? Or is it more of a matter of the heart? I don't have the will and the heart to do it. You see? What happens is that Paul looks at this group and he says, hey, I'm not going to scold you, but I am going to remind you that you have been richly blessed by the grace of God. You have all that you need to share the gospel. You have all that you need to help people grow in the faith. You do. You just need to get un- recognize them. You need to sharpen them and go out and use them. All right? And so this is what he had to say. So in summary, by God's grace, believers are given all the gifts they need to evangelize the unsaved and edify the saved. So we are saved yesterday and gifted for today, and now we are going to be blessed in the future. What is the future blessing? Well, look at verse 7, the second half of verse 7, and verse, on to verse 9, 7, 8, and 9. Verse 7, he said, uh, so that you are not lacking any gift. Then look at this, awaiting eagerly the revelation of the, our, Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus, he says in that. Well, what does he mean by that? It says the word awaiting eagerly means that we continuously are active in watching for the Lord. We're not just sitting on our hands and waiting for Jesus to come back, okay? We're not doing that. We're not just, you know, uh, uh, kicking back and, and getting a nice suntan or something like that, waiting for Jesus to come. But rather, we are working all this time actively. And then this all comes by God's grace to have this privilege and joy of looking forward to Christ's return. What will happen when Christ comes back? Well, that's a, that's a very important fact. Look at verse 8. When Jesus comes back, he says, Who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what this means is that when Jesus comes back, he will stand before the throne of God. When our turn comes up to face God, he's going to say, This is Arnold Wong, and I, he accepted me as a Savior. He is blameless. He is without accusation. He has been justified. He's been declared righteous. And you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say, wow, praise God I did that, you know. Praise God I did that. And he says, that's what Jesus will do when he comes back. He will declare us blameless. And then, how do we know that all of this is going to happen? How do we know these future blessings are going to happen? Well, he gives us two reasons in verse 9. He says, first of all, God is faithful. I'm so glad that Lut Ming chose that song to lead us as we opened up about the faithfulness of God. It's because God is faithful, all right? He is the one that makes it all possible. He will keep his promises, and he will keep us all for all eternity. But the second one may become as a little surprise to you. And the second part is when he says, through whom you were called into fellowship with his son. Now, the word fellowship has many different meanings, but one of those meanings is oneness, oneness. So when we're joined together in fellowship, we are one with one another. 
okay? We're joined at the hip. We're joined at the head. We're joined at the heart. We're one with one another. He says, you have oneness with Christ. And then the also means, the word also means partnership. You are in partnership with Christ. And so he says, how do I know that this future blessing is going to happen? Christ is going to return. When Christ returns, he's going to declare all of us who've accepted him as our Savior as being blameless is because of God's faithfulness and because of our oneness with Christ. Those two things happen. Our future blessings are a result of God's grace. And someday we will appear before the eternal throne and we will be held blameless. In Christ, we have been abundantly blessed because of God's grace. From the moment we are saved in the past to the moment that we are remain saved in the present and ultimately when we are saved when we meet Jesus Christ. So Paul says, look, folks, you're covered. You're covered. Remember this. Remember who you are. Reminded them with their calling and then the blessing. And this should help us find motivation. It will help us because our identity becomes clear. More than being a member of GBC or not being a member, being an attender at GBC. More than that, we are saints. We are sanctified. We've been set apart by God for God. Don't forget that. Don't ever forget that. In fact, if you're going to apply anything that we have learned today, remember the moment you were saved, called by God, called by God. I don't know what your circumstances are. Maybe it was at a service. Maybe perhaps it was in a quiet moment of desperation. Perhaps it was just by yourself. I don't know what your circumstances are, but go back to that moment and remember how God seized your heart and your soul and brought you into his family. And then remember how the Lord has enabled you to live a life that glorifies him. Remember what lies ahead and is yet to be fulfilled. Remember who you are and how you have been blessed and respond humbly with deep love, respect, and obedience to God. This has all gone astray, I think, today. Part of it is because maybe we as pastors in the desire to build churches, to build sizes of congregations and all this kind of stuff, this is not popular. This is not a really cool message, you know? We'd rather hear Jesus loves me type messages, right? <laughs> we want to hear those kind of things. But I'm sure the Corinthians wanted to hear that kind of stuff too. And Paul was directed by God, and he says, listen, y'all, this is who you are. Now live this way. And that's what we need to remember. This is what the direction we need to head. The problems of the church at Corinth were numerous and serious. The solution starts by remembering who we are and how blessed we have been by God, with God by his amazing and awesome grace. If I had to leave you with anything when you go out of here, and I hope it sticks in your mind, I hope God tattoos it on your heart and on your brain as you leave here, and that is this. You are a saint, so think and live like one. No holds barred. 
No rationalization. No trying to wiggle out of this or that. But what God clearly says and God clearly teaches. Please, humbly, obey it and follow it. Well, I do hope that you'll come back because the book of Corinthians is just rich in things, truths that we need to know for practical daily living. And probably you'll get answers to questions that you've been thinking about, but you didn't dare ask. But God will answer it, some of those, through the book of 1 Corinthians. Let's pray together. Father, as we come together, we know that this is a very special day in many ways. We're beginning a new series. Father, it's a day when you have brought us in here to perhaps encourage our hearts who have been weakened by the onslaught of the world. We know, Lord, that the Lord is not, the world is not going to give up. It's going to keep trying to convince us to live the way it wants us to live. But, Father, we are your people. We have been sanctified. We are saints. Now help us, O oh Lord, to be courageous and live as such. And thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us rise as we sing the song of response. Sing about this grace that is freely given to us in Christ Jesus. We are extremely blessed because we have everything given by Him to tell of His glory and be the salt and light of this world. Grace unmeasured. Amen.